Welcome to another episode of The Haber Show. We are back, but with a heavy heart. Former NBA commissioner David Stern passed away this week at the age of 77 after suffering a hemorrhage three weeks ago. We'll talk about Stern's legacy with both my guests this week on the show. The first one is Chris Haynes of Yahoo Sports, who is one of the best breaking news reporters around and also really good at basketball in general. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about LeBron and AD, Damian Lillard and the struggling Blazers, player empowerment, and the all-star voting returns that just came out. My second guest is CNBC's sports business reporter, Eric Chemi, who spent time with David Stern recently and came on to share some insights on Stern the man, Stern the commish, and Stern the businessman. Great stuff from Chris and Eric. Without further ado, here's Chris Haynes. The guy who set up the media game that gave me a lot of respect around the league because one clip, one six-second clip, went on the internet and uh, Steven Jackson saw it and mauled me on the finals court before I think one of the game game four or something like that. Man, Chris, you setting up that game, the media game at the finals, I had one good play. I put the ball behind my back and I hit hold three. On, hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold on. You put the ball behind your back twice, right? On the same possession? Yeah, it was, uh, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to boast, but it was it's a fast. transition. Yeah, <laughs> transition. transition. Yeah. I, I, I remember, I've seen that. I've seen that. It was one, it was one of the top, it made the top five media highlights of that day. Man, I'm just la- I'm, I'm glad I survived. I mean, that was the big thing, Chris, <laughs> man. All of us were just scared that we were just too washed up to play in that game that we pulled off a stretcher. We, we had two injuries, which is great, you know, when you think about 50 out-of-shape media members, you know, participating in the game with no preparation whatsoever leading up to that day. So I, I'll take two injuries. It wasn't gruesome injury. Nobody had to be cut off or anything like that. But no, I was cool, and I think, you know, for the most part, I think, you know, fans got a kick out of seeing us play. You know, obviously, they're always, you know, and if you write something critical, say something critical on TV, you know, they – they always want to throw, well, how can you make that suggestion? You know, how can you have that take? You ain't ever played the game before, so this is a great opportunity for uh, some people to prove that they can play, but most of them, you know, prove the, fan, prove the fans otherwise, prove their belief. But, no, it's cool. We're definitely, we're definitely um, doing it again in the yes. finals, man. So i got to have you in it, man. I'm in, man. I'm in. Um, where are we going to be playing it this year? Where, where, is, the, where is the game? Where is the finals going to be? You know what? If if I was a betting man, which I'm not, I would have, you know, I would have to bet that the, the second annual media jam would probably take place in LA. Uh, that's just that's just my <laughs> my guess, man. We've got lots to get into on this podcast. I want to hit this at the top. This week, the NBA lives were were uh, rocked by the news of David Stern, former commissioner of the NBA for 30 years, um, his passing, and I had to note that. We just got the NBA All-Star vote returns. The first time, this was like in the last hour before we would tape this. And I think it's symbolic that Giannis Antetokounmpo, Joel Embiid, Pascal Siakam, Luka Doncic, all international players who are one of the top mm-hmm. vote-getters, Giannis and Luka, in today's NBA with LeBron James, Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, Kyrie Irving, all these names but it's the international guys who, to me, are standing out in this early returns. And I think David Stern, may he rest in peace, somewhere is nodding from above saying, that is the NBA that I dreamed of. So condolences to 
David Stern's family. And I want to get your take, uh, Chris, your feeling of your relationship with David Stern, your interactions with David Stern, and also what the players view of David Stern, because he could be a bulldog, a bully, right? But um, for a lot of respect, I think there's a lot of respect around the league, not just from execs and media, but players too. No, and also I agree with you all, Harley. First of all, I want to, you know, give my my condolences to uh, the Stern family. And, uh, you know, he, he was a, a legendary figure. And he's somebody, I, I started covering the league. My four, my first full-time season covering the league was the 11-12 the year, which was the lockout year. So I, I have more years under my belt with, with Adam Silver. Uh, you know, I, I would assume you do as well. And so I, I, I didn't have – that many interactions with David Stern, you know, I'm, I'm reading a lot of stories out there, you know, people, you know, just, you know, giving us a glimpse of his personality and, you know, seemed like he was really, you know, really candid and, uh, you know, but isn't that like a, a grandparent though, you know, like the, the older people get, the more, <laughs> the more raw, more lovable they become. But, uh, you know, he, he, he definitely, it was his vision to see a lot of international players, you know, in this game and, and to elevate the game and get it on a global level. And he, he definitely did that. But what was you going to say, Tom? I was going to say Rick Welts, who's the president of the Golden State Warriors, he used mm-hmm. to call, he used to work in the NBA front office, um, the NBA league office, as the, like the number three behind Adam Silver. And he said he called David Stern Uncle Dave. You know, well, and to talk to you about that, your, that, your grandfather, yeah. it's just he's, he's Uncle yeah. Dave, right? So... I, I almost wanted to get in some of these arguments with. I felt left out reading all these stories from our reporter comrades that we didn't. Get, I didn't get a phone, an angry phone call from David Stern. I feel like I'm missing a credential. Yeah, no, it's, he, he seemed like a real cool, genuine guy, man. Uh, definitely about his business. Uh, best, you know. Definitely, you know, he was a no nonsense guy. You know, Adam Silver is kind of. You know, it's kind of polar opposite. You know, Adam Silver is real nice. You know, easy going. Uh, certainly about his business as well, but no, I mean David Stern, man, he, he's going, you know, he's a legendary, uh, mythical uh, human being. You know, we talk, we talk to players. Look, you know, a lot of players that you know I talked to over the last day, you know, they just talked about, look, man, growing up, like you made it once you shook his hand, like mm-hmm. that. That was the thing that was so big, and even though Adam Silver. You know, has been you know been in office. Well, I think he took over fourteen uh, as commissioner. Um, you know, it's still like these these cat the cats that's coming in, the young cats that's coming into the league today. You know, still Stern is the one that comes to their mind when they when they think about going onto that podium, receiving that hat, getting that handshake, and taking that photo. So it, it's still going to be David Stern probably for another decade uh, as far as the person that these players have on their mind. Uh, as the one that they have to uh, greet first before entering the league, so he, he he's just a you know such a, a legendary uh, man who did a lot for the game of basketball, who helped elevate it. Man, we know we know that you know we know his track record, we know the history, you know from the '80s tape delay and all that stuff. But man, it, it, this was a um, it, it, it kind of you know I, I think the NBA did a good job with keeping everybody abreast of this situation even before it got to this point. So I think everybody was sad, but, you know, we, everybody had a feeling. You know, we knew that the time was coming close. 
And so I think the NBA did a great job. Or the Stern family did a great job in trying to just share, you know, share as much information as they could. And, and it's definitely it's definitely a tough way to start the new year off. Yeah, man. When I look back at Stern, there was a moment where uh, I didn't include it in the piece, but in 2012 NBA Finals, you know when you're at the press conferences, Chris, you're like, you're, I don't know, you and I both came into the league around the same time covering it full time. And I was nervous to ask a question at these NBA Finals press conferences because it's not that I'm afraid of David Stern or Adam Silver, but when I was 27 years old and I'm watching like all these giants, you know, ask like like the the Henry Abbott, the Howard Beck, Mark Stein, these these people who are asking questions at the at the podium, and then I, I had I had a question about flopping, I think, and I asked David Stern. Something at the 2012 was in OKC, and I was nervous, so I held a cup of my iced tea in one hand and my tape recorder in the other. And I got the mic, and I'm holding both of these things in my hands because I was real fidgety. I was nervous asking him the question because he was—I knew he was going to dunk on me. Like I—I I knew I thought it was going to have a smart question, and he was going to just fillet me there on the podium, but he didn't. But what I realized, Chris, when I got back to my seat is that I was memed. In 2012, I was memed as far as memeing could go because at that time, Twitter didn't allow you to embed images. But um, mm-hmm. because the glass that I was holding, it was a clear plastic cup and the iced tea had melted. So then there was no ice left. <laughs> and it looked like I was asking David Stern, the commissioner of the NBA, a question while drinking beer. <laughs> and so all these people on Twitter who are watching at home were like, who is this frat bro <laughs> asking David Stern about flopping? And I'm sitting there like, oh, man, I had my big moment asking David Stern a question. Now I'm being embarrassed on Twitter, like totally just, just thrown through the, through I'm the gonna fire. Have to, I'm going to have to find that meme now. Oh, man, it was so I, I, bad. I, didn't, I didn't know you went through that, man. So my, my apologies, man. I didn't know he, you went. But, you know, you – you put that on yourself. That was that wasn't anything that that wasn't anything that David Stern's doing. I know he 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 spared me, man. I survived that press yeah. conference, and he he went at at folks all the time. But um, may he rest in peace. And all of my interactions with him were positive. And um, I think the Adam Silver reign of the NBA. Uh, I think, like you said, he's very different than David Stern. But I think he learned a lot from. Um, from from David and he's able to compliment David's personality in a great way for NBA players and I think it's it's a right it's a right commissioner for the right time right now with Adam Silver and, and player relations and uh man David Sir what a giant rest in peace and we will um we will be keeping him in our thoughts and the family as we as we head into 2020 switching gears here we do this on the show little Tom's trivia um, a little layup line, kind of get things warmed up on the pod. And every guest that I have, or most every guest, I kind of quiz them on either their history or something close to home um, to kind of peek into their life a little bit. And Chris, I got one for you. Drum roll, please. Here's the question. You ready for this? I'm ready. You're from Fresno State. You went to Fresno State, right? Yeah, from Fresno and went to Fresno State, yes. Okay. Who are the two top assist guys or i guess pro nba products from fresno state that hooped at fresno state top two guys in assists at the nba level who are they who played the nba so i'm gonna say one would probably be ray for austin 
That is correct. Skip to Mylou, who he was number two on the list. Who is number one? Number one, I'm gonna go with Chris Heron. Close, but it's Paul Ooh. George. Paul George is number one. Paul George in assists. He played two seasons there. I'm saying NBA assists products who are in the NBA. Oh, NBA assists. My fault. My bad. My bad. My bad. I probably I probably that worded it. That would have been easy. That that, that would have been easy. My bad. I thought I thought. I thought it was players who made it to the NBA who had the, the highest assist total while at Federal State. Got you. No, that, that makes sense. Paul George, Paul George, skip to my Lou. Do you have a skip to my Lou story? You know what? So skip to my Lou. So I went to Edison High School, uh, which is you know the urban area of the city, and he would come to. Uh, so I was a freshman in high school at the time, I believe, and you know he was in college at Federal State, and we just he came from New York, and so. Back then, it was that whole N one mixtape buzz that was going around. You remember the N one oh, yeah. mixtape tours, hot sauce, uh, I, I, to my loot. Yep. yeah, hot sauce and all that. And he was a part of that initially, or at least played a couple runs with him somewhere around the country. So he was just big. We we had Jerry Tarkanian at the time, and which was Tark was man like Tark kids a lot of flack for you know maybe bending some rules here and there. But, uh, you know, one thing you can't take away from from him, especially when it comes to what he did in Fresno, is that he brought McDonald's All-Americans uh, to Fresno State, man. We, we would never, ever experience anything like that before. Uh, but, you know, it was during that time. And, you know, Ray for Austin was, you know, he would leave. He would leave the Fresno State area is like, is a distance from, what the, you know, the area that we stayed at in the high school we went to. But he would come over to our high school and, um, you know, shoot hoops with us, you know, during lunchtime, just, you know, coming, hanging, hanging out with the community. But I remember that, you know, I forgot, damn, I forgot what shoes these were. Ah, there might've been some Jason kids. I don't know, but you know, he has, he has some shoes. He was playing, playing in, you know, front of stage red and white. And, uh, you know, I, I think I looked at, I'm like, damn, man, those shoes tight, man. And he took them off his feet. And, uh, he had, he had, um, Larry Abney with him. Larry Abney is, uh, I think, he, I believe, still the all-time leading rebounder in Federal State history, who's now an assistant coach with the Los Angeles Clippers, a player development for the Los Angeles Clippers. Uh, he I hit him with had had Larry with him at the school, took his shoes off, took his shoes off, gave them to me, and then um, had Larry give him his sandals he was wearing, and, uh, and he walked over. He walked away with with sandals on his feet. Larry walked away with barefoot. You know, so but he he was just he's just a cool guy, man. And uh, you know, he it was uh it was definitely a great time, a great era we had with talking, bringing all those great guys to the town. Man, I would never want to guard Rafer. He makes you look <laughs> stupid, man. Like you got, you know what? You know one thing when I was playing ball, you know, I played high school ball, played D two college ball. But one thing I remember, people used to always tell me, like when you're playing D. Even when you're playing against some of the slickest ball handlers, some of the crappiest handlers, just look at their waist. Right. Just they always look yep. at their waist when you're playing defense because the waist goes nowhere, right? I'm like, that makes sense. I would still look at the waist and, and, and get shook. <laughs> you, you can't. I, I don't care what you say. You can look at the waist. You can look at the, the stomach area. Yep. Whatever. If, if guys are crafty, they're crafty with their feet. You know, they, they, they're deceptive. You know, man, it, it, they're gonna always get the best with you. But now, Rayford was definitely one of those guys who had you intimidated before you even stepped on the floor. And so, if you if you already had if you already intimidated going in, man, he 
he's going to shake you a few times. Man, if I was in transition and or if he was in transition and I was the only guy back, I would have been like, um, no, you get ball and I'll get shooting. <laughs> right? Like I would sell out any of my teammates back there if in, in transition, he, right? He, he, even if you're closer to the, even though you're close to the one with the ball, exactly. I would be like, I got shooter, I got shooter. Someone pick him up. Who's got ball? Get ball, get ball, get ball. You gotta stop the ball, Tom. You <laughs> no, gotta man. stop the ball transition. That's man, the first this is, rule. This man, this is 2020, Chris. <laughs> this is tw- you gotta get to the shooters in transition now. You gotta get to the oh, shooters. Oh man, get get a, a layup up, bro. Yeah, get a layup up. Oh, we don't want to get a threes up. Yeah, that's man. true. Yeah, but now now you're hearing me. You're like, I don't want to be on Tom's team at the at the media gym next year. Yeah, yeah, I, I know how to arrange my team, <laughs> and it's funny. It's funny, Tom. I know we we got past that, but it was funny. So you know, I I, I arranged the schedule, made up the schedule for you know, made up the teams for the media game, and you know, I called myself trying to give myself a, a a easy win first round. You know, so I, I picked. I can't remember the name, so forgive me. But it was it was a it was, the team was the Warriors Outsider Crew. You know the, yeah. they do the. You, uh, you, you, I'm pretty sure yeah. you know them. You probably go on this show every now oh, and yeah. then. So I picked them. I picked them. That's our first round. That's our first round game. You know what I mean? Look, I'm putting this thing together. I can't get bounced in the first round. You know what I mean? So I I picked the the Warriors Outsider Crew. Big mistake. Man, they must have they must have kicked. Little did I know that one of those guys. Used to play for Stanford back in the day, and yeah. so you know, and, and you know, so obviously I, I had you know we got bounced in the first round, unexpected bounce, and I, I had to pull a KD. I had to pull a KD, man. I ended up joining their team, and our team ended up winning out, man. But I couldn't go out like that, Tom. You understand, right? Yeah, man. You rigged it, and you still screwed up, <laughs> <laughs> right? Right, but I think I think this year, uh, uh, you like know, Drew, I, Drew can real, man, Drew, whew, Drew, that's what, yeah. yeah, Grant, Grant, yeah, he, Liffman, and Drew, Schill. Drew, he, you know what? I can say this because I'm a balding man myself. He's got a lot of Caruso to his game. Where yeah, you look at him does. and you're like, oh, I, I, I can check him, nah, and then he gets the ball nah. and you're like, yeah, I got someone else, man. Yeah. And the thing about it is, they're so team oriented, like they. They're, they're in shape. You can tell they still play yes. some pickup, and so they were like doing back doors and cuts and flare screens, and you know I didn't have anybody ready for that. Damn near, I, I sure wasn't ready. You know, ready to be going out there. You know, conditioning wise to be doing all that. But now you know, you live and you learn. But I think the the tweak going up to the um, um this second year, you know, I had a lot of people come up to me, and you know, Israel Gutierrez from. ESPN, you know, a lot of them want to do their, you know, have their company teams, you know. So I think there'll be some teams that's mixed, but I think other teams will have, you know, they want to have their Sports Nation uh, click, uh, Yahoo, the team, the athletic team, you know. So we'll, we'll, we'll figure something out. But I think I think this, this time is going to be probably a little bit better than the last one. Well, that means I'll probably be on the Warriors Outsiders team. <laughs> I would be with Drew and Grant, man. Like, that's great. Can, hey, we get, can we get B. Shaw and Chris Mullen too? Can we get can we get former players oh, in on this? Man, come on now. You know what? Who, who was supposed? It was a former player was thinking about playing. It might have been Perk. No, it might have been. Yeah, it might have been Perk. I think Perk was planning on coming out last year. It's, you know, something happened. You know, something happened. But you know, we had we had you know it was during the finals. We had Quinn Cook. Quinn Cook came came through and watched a few games yeah. and. And even Kevin Durant, he was supposed to come. He got stuck in traffic. 
So he, he yeah, was supposed the, to make an appearance. So how did you? How did you? How did that happen? So K- KD was like, I'm coming. I think there was rumors that KD was coming. No. So as soon as I tweeted out the information that you know I'm having this media run, and like Tom, like the my mentions went through the roof. DMs went through the roof. I had so many. Like I, I wanted to have probably about thirty participants, but I had over a hundred. Like way, way, well over a hundred people that you know hit me up, and so I, I had to kind of dwindle the numbers to like I want to make sure I get you know all the NBA media in for sure. But you know, like the NBA finals, you get a lot more media outside of just the NBA. So I, you know, I had to to cut it down. But as soon as I that tweet went out, KD texted me, and he was like, "Bro, I'm coming." I'm like, "You serious?" I'm like, "He said I'm coming." I'm like, "You know this is during the finals, right?" He's like, "Dude, as long as it's an off day, I'm coming." And so I kept that under wraps. I kept it under wraps. And, um, you know, Quinn Cook always told me he was coming. Steph mentioned he might show up. Uh, but I, I kept KD under wraps. But he got in. He was in San Francisco at the time. And I remember, I don't, I don't know if you guys remember. How was traffic to you guys when, uh, when you were on that Brutal. bus? Brutal. To yeah, okay. Yeah, that's, that's what he said. So as it got later. But I can't complain because you set up worse. a bus and everything. It was great. It was like a Yeah, we, no, we had look. We, if we're going to do it, we got to do it right, Tom. So, you know, it's, it's always tough, especially in the Bay, you know, during rush hour uh, to, to try to get anywhere. So I was like, well, at least I can do is try to arrange to have a few buses, uh, pick people up uh, where they're staying at. You know, there's only a couple spots where majority of the media are staying and arrange it from there. And so, you know, we have food for you guys and everything. So I wanted to make everything as um, easy as possible. But, yeah, so Katie was um, – he he got hit in traffic real hard. He had to turn around, but you know, K- KD was going to be there. Man, who who else like who else do you think really cares about whether media can play? You know what? I don't really think like if it was an All Star. Let's say if it was like, a media game at All Star. Like, which players do you think would want to support or critique? Like, who would want to show up and watch the media game? So it's it's more of a <laughs> it's not just the finals team, but like, does Dame care about this stuff, or is it more just like he would have fun with it? Look, I, I don't know if most of these players care about it. I, I think they, you know, they want to laugh at our expense. Yes, uh, is, is probably the best way to put it. But no, I definitely think um, there's interest. You know, there's it's interest because they want to, you know, see us act a fool. They want to see us look like some fool. They want to, um, you know, they read. You know, even though they don't, most of them don't claim to, but you know, they read what we write. Uh, they see what we say. And so, you know, this is the best way of, of getting back at us, uh, is, you know, to seeing us fumbling the ball off our hands and tripping and falling and blowing wide open layups. You know, so, no, they'll definitely get it, – there'll definitely, definitely be some interest. And, you know, there was interest. You know, if this was – you know, say this was at All-Star Weekend, right, where there's more players there, mm. you know, because the finals is – there's that you know that's the NBA Finals you know and it, you know some players you know I, I ain't gonna name them names but some players were kind of concerned with the the optics of going and hanging out watching the media game during the finals you know putting it you know they didn't want the perception out that they're, that they're not focused on the finals right uh, which which is so, so ridiculous you know, you, these you, guys you, can't have lives they can't like, go to a movie yeah. with, like they have to eat sleep breathe NBA Finals twenty four seven come on. 
Yeah, I know. But you take it, you put it in a say an All Star weekend or something where a bunch of players are there and it's not really a serious game uh, being held. Then yeah, I think you, you definitely have more interest um, being there. But yeah, they they definitely want to see us fall flat on our for sure. Well, this is a great segue. Uh, a team that's falling flat on their right now is uh, Portland. Uh, so you've uh, got great segue. you've got ties to Portland. That was um, your beat. Your that was a team where you grew. I mean, you just did a podcast, posted up podcast with uh, Will Barton. Um, you played. I think the first time I ever saw you in person was on Twitter when you played Will Barton one on one, and. Uh, I don't I don't know what to make of this Portland team because I know the injuries have ravaged their front court, but when you got CJ and Dame every single night, you should be a 500 team at the very least. And right now there's seven games under 500. I can't imagine Damian Lillard is very happy right now. Not too many people happy in that locker room. There's a bunch of pieces that just they just don't fit. That's the way it seems to be right now. You know, I praise Middle share in the off season, you know, with some, you know, some of the moves he made, you know, re-signing Rodney Hood, uh, bringing over Hassan Whiteside, because I, I did believe that, you know, Dan could get the best out of Whiteside. Uh, Whiteside still produces numbers, but I think, you know, when you look at Whiteside's game, now that I've been, you know, watching him a little bit more closely now, him being in Portland, is that, you know, those those blocks and rebounds don't add up to hustle and, and effort all the time you know it, you know those, those, a lot of those times those can be empty stats and i see that a little bit in him um you know kenton baysmore hasn't been um the fit that um they expected uh, it looks like he's a little bit more offensive driven um now than he was you know he made his Coming calling on, yep. on the defensive end yeah and he kind of reverted and i think that that might you know that might have caused some caused some um, issues as well, but no, I mean, yeah, they've been ravaged with injuries and Nurkish and Zach Collins and Rodney Hood, but no, I definitely think they're still playing below standards. Uh, this is unacceptable. This is a team that was in the Western Conference Finals for God's sakes. You can't be outside the top eight in the playoff picture right now. Um, you know, Dame has to look at himself. CJ has to look at himself as well. But it's hard, man. They, they, they got. They they had I didn't get a chance to watch this particular game uh, over the holiday, but losing by twenty four to the Knicks. Yeah, I mean I know the Knicks, Knicks are playing better um, since Fisdale was fired, but like this team, they can't be losing those games not to that degree. And I think the primary issue for them is defense recently, but I think overall ball movement was a problem when they got swept by the Pelicans two years ago, um, and I think Nurk is so underrated as a facilitator. He was a much better passer last year. He just really developed that side of his game. Just as a side note, remember when Nurk and uh, and Jokic played together in Denver? Whew. Like if those guys were playing together too, um, if they could coexist, man. They got a lot of ball movement um, with that Nurk team. And of course, Myers Leonard and uh, NS, they, they played out of their minds in the playoffs last year. But I, I just think when you look at Portland – Mello and Hassan are not they're not distributors man they're not facilitators and when the when the offense gets bogged down offensively if Dame or or CJ in the first action gets bogged down it's it's not pretty it's not pretty and uh I think Kevin Love would really help there I think he's I know over the wrong side of 30 but he is a great facilitator he's championship material he's uh he's he wants it 
Um, in terms of winning, I think he's the right guy for that locker room. He's a Portland native. But um, what is your perspective on if they need to make changes in Portland? Because I, I can't imagine CJ and, and, Port, and, uh, and Dame want to go Western Conference Finals and then out of the playoffs. No, there, 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 there will be a move made for sure. Uh, it, it's hard for me. It's hard to it's hard to, for me to believe that Hassan Whiteside and Kent Bazemore will still be there uh, past the trade deadline. You for know, those so listening, I, they're they're expiring contracts at big numbers. So I think yeah. Kent's at what like nineteen, and Hassan's at twenty seven. And so Portland, if they can't trade using those contracts, they just expire. They just expire, and that's why I say I think they. It's hard for me to believe that they'll be on that roster past that that deadline. So they they have to, you know, a move will be made. Look, this is Dane Spry. He just signed his, uh, you know, he just signed his supermax this past summer. You know, he he's not he had he didn't sign up to be on a team like this, and nobody thought this was going to be the team. But you know, he just signed up for this. So it's 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 front office. It's their their call now. It's their play. Uh, I know Terry Stotts is going to get a lot of heat. You know, for you know what's been going on this season, rightfully so. He's the coach. You know, you got to take some blame, but you know, I think we all see flaws in this roster, and and then I, you know, I expect that to, you know, I I expect something to be. I don't, I don't know if I don't know if Kevin Love uh, is the call. I don't know if they they end up getting him. I, I just have a hard time looking at the assets that Portland has and, and seeing if that's a, you know, I just it's hard for me to believe that that's enough. To get Kevin Love, but you know, stranger so things let, have happened. So let's say Hassan Whiteside, because he's at twenty-seven million. I think uh, Kevin Love's at thirty-one, 31. right around there. So you're gonna build a, build a uh, a deal around Hassan Whiteside. Mm-hmm. I think they have the assets. Um, they have all their first-round picks going forward. Neil O'Shea has kept those in his cupboard going forward, which is smart because I think you know, as a small market team, you want to keep all of the long-term assets that you can in case you need to exchange them and cash in for a ready-made star right now. And, you know, they have young players in Nasir Little. They've got Anthony Simons. I know Olshay is, a, you know, he loves Anthony. And he said he's the most skilled player, he, young player he in the NBA, you know. And I think, I don't think he puts him on the table. I don't think he puts Zach Collins on the table. But I wonder if Cleveland, if Kevin Love makes a stink or, you know, there's unrest in the locker room for uh, for Beeline. I wonder if they're just like, you know what, we need to take advantage of these expiring contracts now and just wipe our hands clean and move forward with our next uh, with our next phase of the, of the organization. Now, let me rephrase that when I talk about I don't believe they have the assets. Now, they have the assets. What I'm saying is I don't believe that Neil will give up Anthony and Zach. No. You know, Anthony, he he loved loves that kid. That's his that's his draft. And I, I look at Whiteside too. You know, the deal is attractive, expiring deal, attractive nonetheless. But then you got to go in there in that young roster with those young impressionable guys. And you know, Cleveland could definitely you know uh, make a move after that trade. You know, if they wanted to. Um, but you know, I, I don't I don't know that he's the right fit locker room with those guys even for half a season or even less than that. But no, Zach, Zach and Anthony, if, the, if those guys are in play, which I have a hard time believing they are, no, definitely it, it, it could be had. And, and it would probably, you could probably make the case Portland has probably the best package uh, to offer Cleveland out there. Yeah, and then you got Blake in Detroit is another name, LaMarcus, uh, DeMar in, in San Antonio. What is your sense of what DeMar DeRozan and LaMarcus Aldridge's chance of being traded at the deadline. 
I think DeMar's chances are a little bit higher than LaMarcus. I will say, let me see, who was the other guy's name? It was DeMar, LaMarcus. Who Blake, else was Blake tough? Griffin with Detroit. Blake Griffin, yeah. Blake Griffin would be tough because it was injury and everything. Yeah, but contract injury. Yeah, huge contract injury. Um, yeah, I, I think out of, out of those three, I think we'll, we'll have a much more chance of seeing DeMar being moved. And, you know, I, I would probably, I would expect him to be moved before the deadline. He has a um, player option for next year. Uh, I don't think he's picking that up. You know, San Antonio can't lose him for nothing. Well, they could, but I don't think they want to do that. And then at the same time, I, I don't, you know, they were going through a contract extension dialogue early in the season and talks fell off. Uh, DeMar and them, you know, they craved a, a longer term deal and San Antonio wasn't going for that. So talks bought. So uh, that's, that's, that's what that, that leads me to my guesstimation that. You know, DeMar would be the one likely out. What do you think the market is for DeMar? Because he's obviously an incredible scorer. He's a guy who in San Antonio has performed as a much better facilitator than I think he got credit for in Toronto. But seeing what Toronto did without him and seeing just his track record over his career, and what do you think he, his best role is going forward? I contend that he should be the next Lou Williams. He's coming off the bench and just getting buckets and being that, that second. Not, not necessarily, because I think Lou kind of made it okay in the same sense that Manu Ginobili did. And it's not so much a hit to your prestige around the NBA if you're averaging 20 points a game coming off the bench. But I kind of feel like that might be the best role for DeMar on a winning team. I've never thought about DeMar in that, in that type of situation. Um, he would definitely thrive in it. Um, I don't think he's ready to take on that no, <laughs> type of role and- himself. But I'll say this. I'll say this, that um, you know when you look at the teams that make sense out there, and I know he wants to play for a contending team. Due to his inability to to, to shoot the three ball, it it definitely limits. Um, it definitely limits the shooters that are out there. Um, have and, you and talked that's to him problem. about that? I have. I haven't talked to Demar since the last time I talked to Demar was it was early in the season. So this this is October. So I I haven't really talked to him in. in well, just in uh, general, in, in general, about, about players like players like Ben Simmons and Demar, where it's like I feel like it's not a matter of getting shots up at the gym. It's it's probably just a hey, I don't need this to be good in the NBA. I get twenty points a game. Why do I need to add the three point shot? Yeah, no, he's always said he's always said he takes what the defense gives him, and um, you know, if, I mean, I mean the stats. You know, prove that he's you know very efficient, and very productive, doing it his way. Um, there was a spurt. I mean, it was I want to say maybe a month ago where he I think he hit like three threes in the game this season, and and then he said something like, um, you know, hey, if if it's there, I'll take it. You know, I don't necessarily believe that because I think it's there a lot. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I don't I don't know, Tom. I, I don't know. It's like you know, and, and it's different with with DeMar because, you know, he's up there in age right now. And so is he going to change? You know, you know, is the zebra going to change the stripes? I I don't, I don't know. But um, I know that if he's not the future guy or to your point about becoming a sixth man, if he's not willing to, to, to adapt his game into a role such as that, then, you know, like I said, I think the, the fits out there are very limited. 
you've just spent some time with Anthony Davis and uh, talking about last year in New Orleans. And of course, New Orleans expected to have a better season this year. But what's your sense on AD and LeBron and whether they need another year to perf- be a title winner or whether you think like they're ready right now? Um, like, do you think they, they can knock off the Clippers, which has a lot more championship championship pedigree from Doc Rivers to Kawhi? Uh, but do you think AD is ready? Because we haven't seen it yet. AD, there's there is a there is a lot of sense around the league that I wouldn't say in executive circles, but when I talk to media, there is some skepticism that Anthony Davis is championship level player. That I I disagree, but they look at the games missed and the knickknack injuries that he's had that they don't feel like he's that type of player yet. And there's might be some Kentucky stuff going on there where a lot of players like from Kentucky have this reputation around the league. But man, I just think he's he's the best teammate that LeBron James has ever had. No disrespect to Dwayne Wade, no disrespect to Chris Bosch and Kyrie Irving. That's, 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 that's disrespect, huh? <laughs> that's yeah, disrespectful. When you talk about when you talk about ad in his prime if Dwayne wade was in his prime prime coming in at 26 like ad is with lebron that's different but ad what he's doing now on both ends of the floor and the way that he complements lebron's game i just think it's 1a anthony davis and 1b Dwayne wade you disagree well i think that first year in miami i think Dwayne wade that was probably his last year of a flash but I think LeBron have I think LeBron had Wade in parts of his prime. Uh, I th- yes, you know Wade yes. man. And so so with that being said, I, I get it. I'm not you know I, I, I'm not going outright just argue with you, but uh, no, definitely. And you can see it. And I, I'll I'll get to answering your question too, Tom. But I, you know I covered the Cavs when LeBron you know LeBron and Kevin Love had teamed up, and I watched that dynamic, man. I watched that dynamic and. Kevin Love even said it publicly uh, recently to Jason Lloyd of the Athletic, but just how he didn't feel at times he had the respect of LeBron. And I remember LeBron had that fit in or fit out tweet back then. And I look at the dynamic with AD and LeBron, and it's nothing like how it was in Cleveland, like compared to Kevin Love. Like, there's so much of a respect level. Like, you know, I. It's usually hard to play with LeBron James if you're another star. You know, Kyrie's seen it, Kevin Love's seen it, Chris Bosh's seen it. The only people who are able to still be themselves in their own skin, have fun, have joy on a day-to-day was Dwayne Wade, and now I'm seeing it as Anthony Davis. And I, I think it just speaks to the level of respect that LeBron has for them, you know, their talent and has for them just – just as far as their, their mental state, you know, to be able to lock out all distractions and just compete regardless of what, you know, media is saying. Because you're going to get a lot of media scrutiny when you're playing with LeBron James. And I just see that, man. And so to ask you, you know, to, to get back to your question about, you know, do I think the Lakers are ready? I think they're, man, I, I don't know if anybody's ready right now, but, you know, I, I would be very surprised if there's, if one of these LA teams aren't representing the West in the finals, yep, I, I do. I do think um, the Lakers have a legitimate shot. I think the Clippers have a legitimate shot. I think um, the only thing for AD is just barring injuries. To me, 
you know, and I, I get people, I get why they, there's some skepticism of thinking that AD might not perform at the highest level. You know, we, we, we haven't seen him, you know, get to that point, so I don't know. But I'm going to tell you right now, man, like, he has the respect of Bron, and I haven't seen it. You know, you follow that Heat team with, with LeBron and Wade. I, I haven't I haven't seen – all I could go off of is the, the, the my two years covering the Cavs with Kevin Love and Kyrie. And uh, I didn't see the interaction, the respect level that I see uh, with LeBron and AD. And uh, I think that's going to be able to carry it a long way. You're absolutely right. And – Dwayne Wade, that first year, even with the, all that respect and how good Dwayne Wade was, it was still clunky. It was still clunky. And I don't think it's all, all about LeBron and Dwayne Wade and their complimentary games. I think a lot of it was that the Heat were trying to figure out what type of team they wanted to be. Keep in mind, that first year, they were starting Carlos Arroyo and Big Z. You know, Joel Anthony. Like, Man. it's a totally different NBA now. And what if LeBron James and Eric Spolstra – and Pat Riley and Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh were like, yo, we just need to get all spacing and get space for driving lanes for LeBron and Dwayne Wade and open up the game a little bit more. Because back then, man, you had to go through Pal Gasol and Andrew Bynum. You had to go through Zebo and Marc Gasol. You had to go through these huge teams. Yeah. And um, I think a lot of the clunkiness offensively with Dwayne Wade, they took turns. They would even talk openly about it is that they felt like they were taking turns offensively. You don't see that with Anthony Davis. You don't see that with the offensive just – I'm telling you, if you're on defense against uh, the Lakers, you get back because LeBron mm-hmm. is throwing that ball up to AD like he's, yep. he's Lamar Jackson, man. Like he's throwing yep. it down every single time down the floor. So it's hard to guard those two. And it's, you can't fall asleep at all because LeBron's too good, AD's too good, and the offensive chemistry is overnight. That's the crazy thing. I thought it would take you know a few weeks, you know, all-star break, we'd finally see them kind of – figuring each other's games out, but it's like they've been playing together for a decade now. That's what I'm saying. You know, I think it goes off, you know, to off the court, man. These guys, they really enjoy uh, being around one another. And I can safely say after covering LeBron, you know, pretty close to the last five or six years, not, not all of his teammates felt that way <laughs> about trying to be, be around them all the time. Yeah, where does so that begin, Chris? Like, where does that where does that relationship begin? Is it Kentucky? Well, LeBron AD, correct? I, I don't. You know what? I don't know. I don't. I don't know the answer to that. I really don't know. I, I so for for me to say anything, I would be you know just be my guess. But look, I mean, you know, Bron obviously recognizes talent, and um, you know, it helps that they you know have the same agent in Rich Paul. But you know, I I don't know where that I don't know where that bond first first was born at. All right, let's take a quick break to hear about a podcast that should be in your rotation. Hello, this is Kareth Burke. On the latest Run and Plays podcast, I sat down with Hall of Famer Gary Payton. He told me why trash talk is a lost art. It is because people think now trash talking is more about being physical. It's about you want to try to fight or whatever. In our era, we can talk about each other and we'll come back and talk about you the same way and don't get a hard feeling. We don't get hard feelings. Anything goes in trash talking to me. Even people's mamas. Even people's mamas. Yeah, I mean, if you talk about my mama, I know what my mama is really about. That's just you being soft inside. To listen to the full interview with Gary Payton, download the Run and Plays podcast for free wherever you listen to your podcast. Now, back to the conversation. I don't know where Portland is going to get help, and I know they're I, – I, I, I'm same, same deal with you. Is I feel like they got to exchange uh, Kent Bazemore and Hassan Whiteside for a big-time player. And Zach Collins, look – 
Oshay loves Zach Collins, and I think he's got potential, but he's still just 22 years old. And I think if you're trying to get guys to win right now with Dame and with CJ and with Nurt, I think I think Zach is going to need a couple more years. And so he might be the four of the future there, and he and Nurk might be the twin towers there underneath. But I just think that like that four position is ready to be filled in right now. And I don't know Kevin Love how he feels about going back home to Portland. Uh, I don't know about the relationship, you know, with Dame and CJ with Kevin Love. But I gotta believe that there's gonna be a guy either at um, and I don't I don't know about Melo's situation long term. But I gotta imagine they're gonna get help. The Lakers and and Clippers. Nothing in the Western Conference dissuades me from believing that those are the two best teams. No matter what Will Barton says. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, hey, you see, I tried. Hey, you see, I, I went back at him. I didn't let him just throw that out there. But he, what he is, can't let, look. you said the same thing to him, which is like, what is he supposed to say? All these players, they're never gonna. Even if they're a five hundred team, they're always gonna say, "Hey, we could beat, we could beat the Lakers in a five game, in a seven game." Season. Yeah, and that's fine. And and I get that. You know, you gotta you gotta ride with your guys, and you can't you can't show any doubt publicly. I get all that. But you know you have a you have a job to do you know some you know especially when they come on a platform such as this if they say something like that you, you got to call them out you got to at least come on now you see what the Lakers are doing you see what the Clippers are doing you know just don't just don't let it go by you know what I mean just don't let it go by like like you agree with it like <laughs> like you approve of that no I mean look man the two top teams in the West period and I don't care because I don't care I don't I don't look at standings. The two top teams is the Lakers and the Clippers, barring injuries. And the Clippers aren't going to have the, the record they should have because they're going to be, you know, maintenance guys all throughout the season. So you can't go by that. And and one thing, I'm talking about asking, so I, I talked to, you know, I talked to Will and my pod about this as well. And, you know, Denver's a nice team, great regular season uh, team, great defensive team. I, I get so it, – it, it's, it, it's hard for me to watch – their offense. It's, it's really hard because I understand their bread and butter is Jokic, but every time, mostly every time down, they have to wait till Jokic gets up. All Every time, half court set, half court set, half court set. Like, there's no easy baskets coming. Like, they don't get out and run. And even when they're in the half court sets, it's primarily two-man it's a two-man game with Jokic and Murray at the top of the key. And while you got three other guys, you know, standing, trying to find seams, I just don't think that play, that brand of play, is going to work in the playoffs as you get deeper in playing those tough teams. Well, what's your take, man? Have you seen I, enough of them? Yep, I, I totally agree. I think it's the same problem that Philly has, which is with, with Joel Embiid. Same deal is like – it feels disjointed, the offense, like an identity issue where I think the rest of the roster there wants to run. And Jokic and the same thing with Embiid is that they come from a different era or at least not in the, you know, they're not running out there like they're Giannis Antetokounmpo, right? So yeah. I just feel like a lot of the, I mean, look, they're really good. They're really good. And I think maybe the pace might be better suited for the postseason where it's going to be kind of a slow it down game. But I think that that has changed over the years where postseason isn't as slow as, as it used to be. But I'm with you is that I think you can't really tell Will Barton on a podcast. Yo, I think you guys need another star. I, I can't trust that you guys are going to win with just Jokic. And like I, I don't think that they're a championship caliber team yet. I don't. I think they're on the tier below because 
once you go against Kawhi and Paul George and Giannis, you need superstars to win. And I think they got one in Jokic. And when Will Barton, as good as he is, is your second and third best player, I just think, hey, you're going to be a really good regular season team, but come winning time in the playoffs, it's going to be hard. And, and that was my point to him, man. It, it, it was not to discredit any of his teammates, and it was definitely not to discredit him uh, as a player. But, you know, the other aspect of this is you, your best player is a post guy. So especially in the playoffs, you know, it's easy to trap, double team a post player and get the ball out of his hands. You know what I mean? So that's when that's when that's when the other teams leave it up to the other players, Will Barton, Gary Harris, you know Jamal Murray to try to make a play. And so I just think in the playoffs it'll get easy. Not easy. Look, Jokic is a tough cover, one of the toughest covers in the league. But you know they can send doubles to get the ball out of his hands. Yes, he is a great passer, but you still after you make the pass have to rely on your teammates to convert. And um, and I think that's what other teams, you know, will force them to do. And I, you know, that's that's the reason I don't like them going deep. Uh, not another star, but then I think just your your best player is is the post guy. And I just I stick in the playoffs. That's that's easier to scheme for. So you're as close with players as anybody out there on the planet. And I want to ask you. I look at the player empowerment era, and you, we talked about it with AD and LeBron and the respect they have for each other. But do you think that given what KD has done and what he won titles and he wasn't able to find that euphoria or that happy place that he was hoping for mentally of just feeling like he was at home in Golden State and he wanted something more um, and he goes and, and goes to Brooklyn, do you think that players, the player empowerment and teaming up together, Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, AD and LeBron, do you think that we're going to swing in the other direction where they're going to value stability? And the uh, you know, giving these organizations have a little bit more time together to figure out, or do you think it's just going to continue being a transactional league where GMs are feeling pressure from ownership, from the media, that hey, if this isn't working out, we got to switch up because this is a transaction league, and these players are have a lot more power than they used to, and I just feel like at some point. This hyper speed, and there have been a lot of trades this year, obviously. But do you think that there's going to be a pendulum shift with player empowerment, and players are going to be wanting wanting a little bit more stability going forward? I think for, I'll say this: I think when obviously LeBron James had you know he's fought to play in it, his his move to the Miami, you know Miami Heat, teaming up with those guys. Uh, but look, I, I don't think, I don't think that's going to change drastically and what i mean by that is like you you'll have some you know there'll be some outliers there'll be some players out there like Kawhi Leonard who who has no problem going against the grain and, and doing it doing it his way but you you tell you remember when when you know when it was all up to management when it was all up to ownership whether you were shipped out or traded cut or whatever and players now are a little bit more educated and knowing that look man y- y'all don't get on these owners Y'all don't abandon the teams for the way they treat us and cut us. So, no, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to give an organization 10 years of my career, of my prime career, when I feel like the organization's not doing what's best for me and the team. You know, why would I do that? And so, no, I I don't think, I I don't think it'll get back to to the way it used to be, Tom, because I think players understand now. They, They understand the hypocrisy in it now. 
Um, you know, even still to the day, you know, a player can player can request a trade and he's vilified. Uh, probably, probably rightfully so. But, you know, then a, a team can trade the, uh, the beloved player out the blue to the, even to the fan surprise, but they're still going to support that team. You know, so I, I don't I, like, I, I just think players have that type of mentality now. And look, and I think there was a little bit of some pushback and, you know, Kevin Durant, his decision to go to go to state and the fact that, you know, players don't want to be looked at. That's why I say it, not directly. Cause, Cause I think players don't want to be looked at as, you know, join a bandwagon. They don't want to, they, they, they really do value their legacy. Yeah, yeah exactly. They, they do value their legacies. And so, uh, you know, I don't, I don't think it'll get to that point again where, you know, you see a star player join a, a, a record breaking team, but no, I, 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 I do think we're beyond the point where we're just going to have guys that's just loyal to a fault. I think the last player that we have that's probably loyal to the fault you know, we we talked about it at Damian Lillard. Yep. You know, spending spending the majority of his prime career, you know, there in Portland, and and um, you know, he still has some time left. But you know, I, I think we're I think we're past that. What you were talking about, Tom? Yeah, it's interesting. It's it feels like we're at the beginning, is what you're saying of yeah of something rather than yeah. you know this is this has gone too far in that direction, and that's probably me as a white reporter saying. Hey, I've looked through the game through the lens of the of management, people that I identify with, and I don't see it from that perspective enough. And and understanding that players' careers, the humanity of it all is like you give your whole body up for this for this organization and it feels like, man, I just got traded, my whole family, we just moved here, and that happens all the time in the NBA. And I know fans don't want to hear about this stuff, but it's real. It's very real is when you when you when you find schools for your kids, when you set your your life your life up in a city, and then a team can just trade you like that, and like even with the Chris Paul deal this summer, we're still getting the ripple effect of that, where we're, mm-hmm. we don't know. Did Daryl Morey uh, tell Chris Paul that he was safe, he wasn't going to be traded? Like, how did that go down? And even at the top, where you're dealing with the president of the players' union, it still feels like players. You know, it seems like a temporary thing when they join it. Yeah, and that's a you know that's a veteran a veteran player you know in that position of, of power that he has the player association, and he still feels a certain type of way about how to, you know how that was handled. And so, you know, like and you have to. The, the, this is the bottom line. I do think Tom, this this is this is what it's about. A team has a player's right for about seven years, right? You know, they they can lock them up, you know, up to that point. You got that amount of time to try to build a winning culture, build a franchise uh, that's sustainable to winning championships year after year. You have that amount of time, uh, you know, uh, with that player. And you know, after that, if if things don't work, and you know, some, it's some you know, life life is unfair. Injuries happen, things happen, you know, out of everyone's control. But you got that time to try to get things right. And if it doesn't work, then most players are going to look for better pastures. They're going to look for greater seeds. They're going to look to, you know, be home. They're going to look to want to play with their friends. And, you know, and that's, I think that's human nature. But, yeah, I don't think, you know, unless Dame is a different cat. He's a different cat. Dame's a different cat. This dude is from Oakland, California. Then went to college at Weber State. And then winds up at Portland. And he's managed to make homes, you know, out of all three of those places. And he comes, and they all three are, you know, 
totally different from each other. So he, he he's just different, man. But you know, for the most part, man, I think, uh, like you said, I think this 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 is going to be the beginning of something different. Yeah, and it's hard to peg. You talk you talked about with the seven years thing. Giannis is the perfect example of that. You know, he's mm-hmm. he's in his seventh year right now. Look, look, we were talking about the storylines. You know, last summer, and you know. You know, we're all reporters here, and we we have jobs to do. We gotta look to see what teams are angling for, uh, what they're looking into. But you know, last summer it may it might even been before last summer. You know, stories started getting out already about teams getting ready for Giannis. Two three years later, ahead, I'm like, damn, golly, <laughs> like you, yeah. But Chris, you, we just you, saw you LeBron leave the Miami Heat after four years in the finals, right? We yeah. just saw LeBron leave after winning a title in Cleveland, and people were saying, yeah, he's never going to leave. We just saw AD uh, yeah. sign an extension with the with the Pelicans, and then before it's done, you know, request a trade out of there, and like Kawhi Leonard mm-hmm. got Paul George out of OKC. This is our job because it happens all the time. It ha- yeah, this, that's this is. True. All these, like, when people are, are upset, like, why can't we just enjoy the Milwaukee Bucks? I'm like, have you been paying attention to the same NBA that we've been paying attention to? Yeah. It's like, we, right. how many situations have we said, yeah, that guy's not leaving, man. He's there for life. And that does not happen. I mean, Dwayne Wade in Miami. Dwayne Wade, who would ever thought that Dwayne Wade would be playing for two other teams other than the Miami Heat before his, finish, his career was finished? Yeah, but let me say this, Tom, and, and I get I get fans' frustrations with us projecting a year or two years down the road and talking about a player's future in another scene. I, I get fans' frust- you know, frustration. They're investing in their team. They, they, they want to believe that everything that comes out of a player's mouth in the press conference or the interview is fact. And Tom, like that, that's one thing. It, it doesn't bother me. I get it. But, you know, you know, players say one thing in the press conference there. They come tell me, or you, you know, the, the, you know what's really going on. And, you know, some, some of those things you have to keep to yourself. You, you know, you got to keep that choice. But, you know, I, I, let me just say this. Fans, please stop believing everything you hear on these press conferences and interviews and stuff like that. Like, there's a business uh, there's a business that has to be done in, in, a, in a certain order. Um, you know, so, you know, it, it, that's that's not going to get them off of our backs whenever we're writing a report and something like that. But, you know, please just try to keep it in, in, in context and understand that, uh, you know, that's not all factual. Matter of fact, a lot of it, most of it, not going to say most of it, but a ton of it isn't factual. You know, there's it, it, the talking points. They got to stick to the script until it's time for them to make their move, whatever move that is. And the fans sitting at home, like Jerry from accounting, you don't think that if he had to <laughs> if, he, if he had to talk at press conferences every day about his bosses and his colleagues, he wouldn't say the right thing at the right time and then go home to his wife and say, hey, man, this is not right. This is not <laughs> it. Like, think about it. Like, if, if fans at home were three times a day, they have a morning availability, a pregame availability, and a postgame availability – for 82 games out of the year and then off days you're asked the same questions you don't think that you'd have to say just go on a script and just say the right thing and not ruffle feathers like it and you're gonna get crossed up you're gonna like you're gonna say something like hey man i i really want to be here for life you know what because 
that's workplace issues. You're not going to just say, yeah, man, I'm not happy here. I want out because as we saw with Dwayne Dedman, you're going to get hit with a fine and it's going to create a whole lot more problems until he's a free agent or until all these guys are free agents. Then they have the autonomy to make decisions what's best for their life. But imagine if Jerry from accounting had to answer about his teammates and his bosses <laughs> three times a day, right? Is, is there a real Jerry from accounting out there? Hey, you know Jerry from there? accounting, reach out to, to Chris and I. <laughs> We wanted we wanted to bring you on to the show, yeah, man, Jerry from accounting. But they they don't see the humanity in it, right? They don't see the humanity in like the, these are their prime years, right? Yeah, but they would they would never get. It. I mean, all all we can do is best you know educate the fan base as much as we can about you know how these things work. But you know, look, they're fans of these players, like you know they idolize idolize these people. Like these to a lot of these people, they they're they're not people. They're, 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 you know, they're legendary mythical figures. And so if you have that perspective, if that's your mindset, you're not going to, you know, you're not going to think rational about how some of these situations play out. Well, Chris Haynes, Yahoo Sports, go read all his stuff. Thanks so much for taking the time. Hold on, Tom, we're done done already, man? Oh, you want to go hour two? What about these all-stars? What what about these all-stars? I didn't say hour two, Tom. I didn't didn't say about hour two, man. But, you know, what what about these all-star fan returns, man? Oh, Taco Fall? You want to go Taco Fall and Alex Caruso? Taco Fall? Taco Fall? Man, come on, man. I got more more votes than um, Bam. Come on, man. Hey. Come on, man. Hey, that's why the we have 25%. That's why we have 25% media, 25% players, Chris. That's why yeah. the All-Star votes, yeah. it, they're fans, they're fanatics, right? Like, they want to see Taco in the All-Star game. This is not a meritocracy. They want to see yeah. Alex Caruso in the game. This is not a meritocracy. Like fan, That's why the players push for their vote to get in there, and the media has only uh, 25%, but players get 25%, and the fans, I know it. Taco would be really, really cool in the All-Star game, but he ain't getting in there. No, nah, he, he's not. He, you know, him, him or Alex. But what the funny thing about for the Alex situation is, let me pull back the curtain a little bit, but, you know, L.A. is always, especially with the Lakers, you know, is always a, a team that players talk about, you know, man, if I got traded to the Lakers, my all-star votes would go up crazy. You know, because I remember Lonzo Ball. There was a point Lonzo Ball had was like third or fourth all-star uh, fan returns. And, you know, it was a product of playing uh, L.A. You the know, Laker some bump. Some it had to do with, um, yeah, the Laker bump. You know, some 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 had to do with the, I guess, the LeVar ball bump, if, if that existed. Uh, but, you know, but that's that's always, is always, you know, you know, the Lakers are so visible and people, you know, want to see so much of their games. And, you know, you could just, it makes it easy for fans to identify with who their favorite player is or who their favorite personality is. Alex Caruso is that guy. And, and, and for, you know, for the simple fact that he's playing with the Lakers, right now he's over uh, Devin Booker, you know, for, for all-star votes right now. But, that, but you know, it shows that I don't know if his market still matters or if it's just the high-profile Lakers in general that still matters. What, what, what's your take yeah, on I that, think, I think it's fan favorite. Um, I think there's a little bit of, quote-unquote, sneaky athleticism effect with uh, Alex Caruso that uh, the way he looks, people gravitate towards him because he's kind of this uh, surprisingly sneaky athletic dude who dunks on people. But I think Alex Caruso... And he has your your haircut. 
He has my haircut. That's right. I don't know. I feel like I've I've in Bomani Bomani calls it coming home. You know, Bomani, no, you come home. You come home. No, I've you come, come home. home. I don't think Alex Caruso's come yeah. home. <laughs> nah, nah. He's on his way home, but he ain't got there yet. Yeah, man. So Get him I, out. Man, I don't have that brawn money. I can't I I mean he's been able to keep keep it going, but I, I can't. I gotta come on home. Alex Caruso. You know, you know what? He's like sixth in all star voting. I can't blame this dude for how he lives his life. Hey, he he's doing he's doing it right. It's, it's like um, I don't know if you've seen it, but um it's a high school kid who has this who did he play against? Oh, he played against um LaMelo. He played against LaMelo in high school. I don't know if you've seen clips of a kid that looks Oh, because he's he's bald, but he's in high school and he was like D enough Lamelo. Did you did you see that? No. Oh, you didn't. Okay, you got you got you got a YouTube that some kid he got the you know he got the hair around the side, no hair at the top, and he just looks old. But he's a high Wait, school what? kid, and he's just like he likes it. <laughs> you know, he was just like a a summer internet sensation. You know, but you know exactly. But to, to your point, the look, uh, the personality, it, it definitely helps with the draw. And I think Chris, there's going to be a rubber band effect here, where I think a lot of people are going to see the returns for Devin Booker and see returns for other more established stars in the league, and be like, "Yo, we got to get out in droves and make up for this." You know, I feel I feel like fans in those fan bases are going to see the the vote totals again. We got to we got to correct this. So I think there's going to be a market correction on all those guys. But uh, yeah, but I think overall, overall the top. I was I was surprised with Trey Young number one in guards right now. It's by um, default, though, man. You know, obviously. Yeah, like yeah, like yeah, Kyrie hasn't that. played, and who else is going to take that? I mean, maybe Kemba. Kemba, Kemba. Um, you know. Lowry hasn't played much, and so I, I get it. I, I get it. You know that that can change, but uh, I, I really don't have a problem with the top, the top players. That you know, Luca. You know that uh, I didn't think he'd be number one. I thought he'd probably be number two. But you know, him being the the, the lead vote getter. Period. You know, that's that, that's pretty impressive. You're you're Luca. Uh, that's got. If you're a captain for the All Star game at year two in the NBA, what a moment for that kid, huh? No, that's 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 really incredible, man. Look, man, I didn't. Who who envisioned this, man? Who saw this? Like, come on now. I, I think you'd be lying if you said you saw him putting up numbers like this. Uh, he was impressive last year, but then to take it up, you know, he's getting triple doubles like it's nothing, you know. And I I know triple doubles don't have the same meaning, but come on, I mean. It, 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 it still shows how you can impact the game at multiple in multiple ways. And he, he, he's, he, he's phenomenal. He's phenomenal. Yeah, man. I hope that that Dallas team stays healthy. Chris Stapps has got a little bit of knee issues right now, and uh, and Luka Doncic, man. There, it'd be so much fun to watch those guys and Rick Carlisle in the playoffs. I don't think they're done with making deals, but I think it's going to be a really interesting playoff because I think you know Dallas is is a sneaky team um, and Luca. Who knows what happens in the playoffs at age twenty um, and whether Kristaps Porzingis' knee will hold up for you know the playoff run. But man, it's exciting. So all right, man. Well, I got to run here, but you, uh, man, thanks so much for coming on the pod and uh, I hope to see you not at the media jam first. I want to see you before that because uh, that means we've been. Uh, We've seen each other a lot for the rest of the season. But, man, thanks so much for coming on. Keep doing you.
Uh, all good, fam. Anytime, man. You take care, man. Happy holidays. Happy New Year to you and Sam. All right, and now it's time for the second part of this episode, conversation with CNBC sports business reporter Eric Chemi on David Stern. Eric, thanks so much for, for joining the Haber Show here on Unfortunate Terms. I wanted to discuss with you, uh, David Stern, just the person. You spent some time with him a couple months ago, and I think what people don't understand about David Stern is he was – a bully when he needed to, but he was a gentle giant um, when he needed to as well. And I always felt so nervous at press conferences talking to him or on the sidelines talking to him just because I feel like he could have just bitten my head off. He had bitten so many people's heads off before, but I feel like in his post-commissioner years, people got to see a different side to him and in his, in his investments in particular – so was that the first time you had met David Stern and what was your impression of him as a man? Well, Tom, first off, it's good to be here on the show with you. Thanks for having me. And you're right. It's unfortunate terms of, of why we're talking about this today. But, but I had talked to him a couple of times briefly, a little bit, but nothing that substantial. You know, substantial until we, we were on stage together. It was an investment conference um, early October. It was like a day or two before the whole Daryl Morey China tweet started. So, so we didn't get a chance to talk about that because it had not happened yet. Um, but you're right because I I had uh, seen a little bit of the tough guy side of him in the times I dealt with him before. But this day was not that. I think he was in a good mood. He he said he started the day by oversleeping his alarm. He and his wife were going to come down from Scarsdale because she had an appointment at the eye doctor or some doctor appointment in Manhattan. So just, you know, typical, it's like talking to your dad or your grandfather stuff, right? Like I slept through my alarm. We were late for our appointment. And then I dropped her off. And now I'm here at this conference. Uh, it was an investment conference. We were talking about data analytics. And he knew some of the bankers at the firm, so they were able to get him to come and and he was sharp he was you know he had some good wit to him they everyone was everyone was happy in the audience listening to him talk i just sort of go and he he could talk about everything what it was like dealing with data analytics in the nba in the 1980s and, and he laughed about that right because there were only 24 employees in the whole the whole league office at the time and and growing that and then he talked about his investments across the sort of tech media, sports, health analytics, that overlap of what he was looking at. And, and he was in good spirits that day. So it was, it was interesting just to think about that's where we were early October. Yeah, and it just it seems like from a league that was really hard on drug, you know, putting in drug rules and the dress code that he implemented, it, it would seem like a response to the Allen Iverson just wave. Uh, and some people looked at David Stern as like this unhip, out of touch suit that um, that felt like he and and people he said I think he said at one time that the board of governors meeting everyone calls him like a plant plantation owner like everyone makes jokes about him as a as a white uh, suit overseeing a predominantly African American league and that he's out of touch. But then you you see reports of him investing or at least being. Uh, open to the idea of Al Harrington, a former player in the NBA, his medical marijuana company. Um, he's into data analytics. And the the stereotype of this old uh, uh, NBA lawyer just doesn't make sense with the investments that he had. And I think it's kind of revealing that his post-commissioner years, he was investing things that were edgy. 
right? Like they weren't these things that were, he wasn't investing in these blue chip old school companies. He was very much at the, at the, uh, at the forefront of some very progressive companies, right? Oh, definitely. So a couple of them were actually companies that we just at CNBC had done stories on and met with. And it was this funny theme that we dealt with in the last couple of years. We would find this hot, interesting tech sports startup. And inevitably, it was like, oh, yeah, David Stern's one of our advisors. He's one of our investors. And we kept thinking, well, how many companies is he involved with? And it turns out it was at least a dozen. I think it was 15 or so that he actually had some real involvement with. And then he said, you know, hundreds of companies had come in front of him to try to get his attention or his resources, or his counseling or his money. I mean, two of them that we dealt with, one was, um, was called Sportscaster, except there's no ER at the end. So it's like Sportscast and then an R. But, you know, of course, one of those tech names, right? Sportscaster. And it was all about like the YouTubing of being a Marv Albert, right? That anybody could do the live broadcast of a game. So now you can imagine if you don't want to watch it on ESPN, anyone could live stream the game and it matches real time with the video. So here's the audio that you could customize. So maybe you want the Tom and Eric audio. You and I are live streaming the NBA finals because you don't want to hear, you don't want to hear Van Gundy and Breen, whatever, right? But you could do that for custom fan groups. You could do that in different languages. You could spread the game globally like that. So that's a hot streaming tech sports media startup, he was involved with that. There was a, another company called Shot Tracker that, that we've seen to see we've dealt with. And, and oh, I yeah. talked to David yeah, about I, it. I know Shot, Shot Tracker. Tracker. Yeah. Yep. With Davion Ross and, and, and you know, the little chips. And we can figure out if you've got multiple people all shooting balls at the same time in a practice, we can figure out who's the best shooter without having any human looking and counting. And that was another one that, that he was involved with, right? So these are heavy-duty, analytics-based, streaming-based, tech-based things. And that's just two of them, right? Just two of the ones to name. And so he got into that stuff. He talked about a force plate, you know, like the, how do I describe it? Those, those big plates that you jump off of and it measures your power. And so he talked about force plate technology and a better way to do that. And I started cracking jokes with him on stage about, so did you do it? How much power did you generate? And he laughed at me. He's like, I can barely walk, buddy. Like I can barely get up on that thing. And, and yeah, so it's, it's just sad to see that he's gone so soon because, you know, at 77, still a pretty young age, and he was clearly mentally sharp. He was physically sharp. It's not like he was walking to that conference in a cane, right? He was perfectly fine and perfectly normal and was fully invested in the work he was doing and was very busy in doing all of that. What about the business of the NBA? Um, you know, I had the blindfold on just looking at the basketball side of things. But from a business perspective, what is the overarching on Wall Street? What is the overarching view of the NBA and David Stern's influence on not just the NBA, but in sports? So it, I want to go back to your previous question when you started talking about the plantation mentality and, and some of those tricky buzzwords. Remember, though, you go back and, and I'll relate it back to this question. You go back to the early 1980s. And the NBA has a bad reputation, right? It's a black league in white America. There are drug reputation problems. It's not being aired in live TV. It's, it's, the finals are on tape delay at midnight. You've got magazine covers. I think it was Time Magazine, if not a cover, but it was a story. And literally asked the question, will white America accept the NBA? Will sponsors want to sponsor the NBA for white companies, right? That was... That was the narrative when he started. So when he comes around and says, we need to do a dress code, 
it's not that he's the age of Allen Iverson, right? He's the age of someone who he is who saw those magazine articles in the early 1980s. So that's still part of his, that's still part of how he came up through the league and what he's trying to fix in terms of its reputation. I think that's why you saw the malice at the palace get such a harsh penalty because I think he thought we can't go back to what that reputation was in the 1980s. So, but anyway, so speaking of the business, that's where they started from, right? This is the, the, the Chicago Bulls in 1985. So let's say the year after he took over in 1984. In 85, you could have bought the Chicago Bulls for $16 million. That's it. The entire team for $16 million. We know now that's a joke. You can't even pay a player $16 million a year, but you could have bought the entire team in perpetuity for $16 million. Obviously, now we know teams are going for round number $2 billion. There are not a lot of stocks that went from sixteen to 2000 in that same period of time. So if you think of it from an investment point of view, pretty damn good investment. The league at the time had 23 franchises. Now they have 30. There were no Canadian teams at the time. There were no regular season games in other countries. None of those things were happening in 1984. Because remember, you couldn't even watch it on live TV. You couldn't watch the NBA finals on live TV. So in terms of the business, we see a lot of these guys come on CNBC because all the owners now, they're all tech billionaires or they're Wall Street billionaires. And at the time in the 80s, it was usually the local car dealer, right? It was a local real estate guy. When I mean, you look at the, the guys that have been around a long time, a, a Jerry Buss or a Larry Miller, they were not Wall Street titans. They were not tech titans. They were just local business guys, right? Donald Sterling was a local real estate guy in LA. But now you look at who buys teams and it's, you know, you need to be the CEO of Microsoft to be able to afford one of these teams. So it's a very different vibe. And I think you can just see by who the ownership is, how the league changed, how expensive it became to the point now it's almost it's so valuable that now these guys are trying to figure out we can't even find owners who are rich enough to buy these teams. Yeah. And and it's it's definitely different. Like the NBA is run by technocrats. You know, they're they're more tech savvy. Uh, they come through Silicon Valley a lot more of them. You know, when you talk about Steve Ballmer or Robert Para or uh, Vivek Ranadive, like when you talk about the NBA owner, they're a lot more diverse. Uh, they come from more data uh, uh, driven companies um, and upbrings. Mark Cuban with Shark Tank. Right. The NBA, obviously, when you have a star like Michael Jordan, it's hard not to capitalize on that. But with David Stern... And but, Rod- but could you say, look, look at all the stars before Michael Jordan. We know there were stars before Michael Jordan, right? So yep. this is all in hindsight. In a way, is it Michael Jordan is a star because David Stern made the league a big league? Because think about it. We had Oscar Robertson. We had Kareem. We had Dr. J. We had all these guys before Michael Jordan. So everyone now gives this narrative. Oh, well, you had Michael Jordan, now you get Larry Bird. And that's why the league became good. But maybe, but maybe they became big because the league became big. Right? No one ever says it the other way around. Yep. And and I think when they go to Barcelona in nineteen ninety two with the dream mm-hmm. team, you know, there's there's you could go all sorts of sides on this debate of the business side of, hey, is it worth sending our players globally uh in the off season or should we keep it to amateurs that are college players uh for these global games? And man, uh Coming up and watching that, there's a whole generation of NBA players from overseas in my story this week um, about David Stern. I did the research, Eric, of the last 25 number one overall draft picks in the NBA, 10 have come from non-continental U.S. 40%. 
forty percent, right? And you don't see and, that and in the other major sports. I mean, no, I, NHL is no. different, um, of course, but baseball and the NFL, who are on the same playing field, I, probably NBA is behind them in nineteen eighty four. Um, the NBA is oh, behind definitely. those two sports, definitely. But David yeah. Stern had the foresight to go overseas and say, "We need to build this globally," which is a risk, and it panned out in a big way. Right. So he was good on that. On that, let's call it the exporting of the league. And so it starts with little stories that I think Woj had written, someone had written about. Oh, he met with the Argentina analyst and said, "Hey, for two grand." I'll let you have these highlights that you can air in Argentina. So it's basically for free. You would never get highlights for free now, right? So it's like, take these highlights, run them in Argentina, and that's where Manu Ginobili got you know, uh, his first exposure to the NBA. Then, then you look at the Dream Team. Remember, the whole idea of professionals in the Olympics, that was a big deal, right? It's sort of like how we talk about sports gambling today, or should we legalize marijuana? In 30 years, we may look back and think, oh, that was so obvious. But at the time, it wasn't. And they could have sent... You know, if they had to send pros, they could have sent, you know, B-list pros, right? We've seen the B-list pros go to Olympic teams before. So that exporting, sure, you you run the risk that these guys are going to get hurt. You run the risk of it not going well. But all the money that we're seeing on these max contracts today, guys that are now going to get $50 million a year, that all started because of that. Because what did you do? You bought global fans, right? We've seen how much money comes to the NBA because fans are watching in other countries, that started with the Dream Team. That started with David Stern giving highlights in Argentina. And so all these players now are making so much money because it is not just an American league, which unfortunately, think about baseball or football, those are just American leagues. And that's why the money that they make isn't going to grow as much as these NBA salaries. Yeah, and I think when you look at David Stern, it, it's... Uh... It's. I think he just commands the respect of every player that he's come across um, over the years. It's. it's he respect is, or fear. It, it comes in many forms, right? It, like I think from a media perspective, he's going to come at you. And I think when you're on the CBA talks and negotiations, and you got David Stern on the other end, he's an intimidating guy, right? But I think when you look at David Stern, um, and I included this story in the piece on NBCSports.com, is when his number three guy in the office in, in, in Manhattan at the league office, Rick Welts, who's now the, the, the Golden State Warriors president, who was responsible for coming up with the idea of the dunk contest way back in the day and, the, and marketed the, the dream team with David Stern, uh, Rick Welts, he was still in the closet. In 2011, he had a New York Times story coming out as the first major sports executive um, to come out of the closet, and it was a decade ago that his longtime partner passed away from AIDS, and he had to internalize right. all that grief. And he was going around the offices for weeks and just feeling awful uh, because he was dreading finding out about an HIV test, and he, it was negative for for Rick. And when his partner passed away, he got a call from David Stern offering condolences. And at that time. Rick said he just couldn't stop crying on the phone with David Stern as he was super emotional and he called him Uncle Dave. And it was a touching, touching anecdote about the other side of David Stern. Uh, and the other, the other angle of this story is that Rick Welts wrote the obituary for Arnie, his partner who passed away. And at the end, he said, if you'd like to make donations to Arnie, please, uh, please direct them to University of Washington. 
and in comes a letter from Diane and David Stern pledging $10,000 to, uh, in honor of Arnie, Rick Welts's, uh, partner. And, you know, you don't get to see this stuff, uh, when you see Adam Silver or David Stern on TV, but these are human, human beings. And David Stern for a long time was thought of as this kind of authoritative figure, uh, with no humanity, no side of humanity that he was just going to crush the players at every opportunity that he could in negotiations, which as a lawyer in a CBA talk, he's supposed to. But I think what people don't get to see is the side that you saw at the investment uh, conference and, and that he is uh, such a great sense of humor. I bet you had a pretty easy time up there with him. It was good. Yeah, it was a good time. And But there were some times where he pushed back on me because I, I would ask the typical question, why are these NBA Finals games on it at 9 p.m.? Right? Who's staying up for this? And he, and he laughed at me and he said, what are you, Phil Mushnick, which is a, a New York Post writer <laughs> oh, yeah. that people in the New York area will know who's always complaining about these late night starts. And he just basically ripped me. He's like, who are you, Phil Mushnick? And he said, look, the data says that we get the highest ratings after 11 p.m. Eastern, so that's when we're going to put it on. And sorry, kids, like that's it. Like You want to watch, you can stay up late, because that's when everyone else is watching. And so there was the tough guy, but the funny guy, and the human guys. So it's like, I'm tr- he's trying to run a business here. And we know that business has conflicts, but everything you talk about with Rick Welts, it goes back to 1991, when Magic Johnson had his HIV diagnosis. And the tough guy in David Stern basically bullied back the bullies, right? The guys that thought they would get AIDS from shaking Magic's hands. Like the, we know, we don't have to name names, but we know a lot of those current Hall of Famers who didn't want Magic in the NBA anymore. They didn't want to be on a court with him. They didn't want him in the All-Star game. They did not want him on that dream team. And David Stern just said, basically, screw you. He's going to be here. You're not going to get AIDS. You all need to relax. Everything is fine. And he led the way for that. And sometimes you need a tough guy, right? You need a bully to bully back the, yep. the other guys, right? So, so I think in that sense, it's like he used the power for good. And, and, and he even talks about things that he struggled with. So he knows his job is to make money for the owners. And he, know, he knew that by expanding internationally, we were going to deal with the China stuff, these repressive governments. We know the NBA is popular in a lot of countries that Americans probably don't want to live in. And that's a tricky dilemma. And this, this all happened, you know, things that he said were he said before all we had with the China, everything that came with the whole China tweet thing. So he, he saw this coming, right? And he said, look, I don't feel comfortable with it. It makes me concerned. My job is to make money for the owners, but I have trouble dealing with this, right? So there was a humanity in him that understood, I can't have it all the ways. I have to do my job, even if I'm not perfectly comfortable with it. Man, what a legend. I mean, you can't, you can't, you can't say the NBA would be where it, where it is right now without Michael Jordan without Larry Bird and Magic, but you have to have David Stern in the same breath. You have to. He's uh, an Definitely. incredible... It's, 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 as we know, it's like any team, right? There's talent and there's management, or the coaches, or the owners, the GM. We see that with any team, right? You can have good players. If you can't figure it out from top down, it's not going to work. And if you think of the league as, as the overall franchise, or the overall team, and he was the, call it the, you know, the GM of that operation, right? And you need a good GM to make it happen. Well, Eric, thanks so much for joining here on a tribute it, to, to David Stern. And uh, I, I think it's it's a sad day for the NBA, but everything that you love about the NBA right now, man, David Stern had fingerprints all over it. The international, Giannis and Adekumpo, the owners, you know, how much money these these players are making and, and just the player empowerment, like everything set the table 
was with David Stern. So uh, thanks so much for joining. And think that about the last show. thing, yeah. the, the dress code thing. The yeah. dress code thing that that because of that inadvertently turned the NBA players into these fashion models that they are today. Right, the whole fashion trend thing came because they wanted to snazz up the suits that they were required to wear anyway. <laughs> right, it's a. Uh... It's like when you have to wear a uniform for school and That's you end the up, fingerprints. You got the shoes. You can wear whatever right. you want on your shoes. Yeah. It's, right. Yeah. It, 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 I think at the time he got a lot of blowback for it. And I think it inevitably, like you said, uh, indirectly led to this fashion era of NBA players. And now NBA teams are having red carpets as they walk into the arena. So, uh, right. Those, think about those. Every time you see that, think about his fingerprints on that each time. All right. That'll do it for this week's episode of the Haber Show podcast. Deepest condolences to the Stern family during this sad time and the NBA family. David Stern was a giant. So if you haven't checked out my previous conversations with Rick Welts, who worked for David Stern at the NBA League office, definitely go check out that episode. And also, subscribe, rate, and review, please. Uh, That would be a big help. And a special thanks to Chris Haynes of Yahoo Sports and Eric Chemi from CNBC for joining me on this week. Until next time on The Haber Show.